Hello and welcome to the 21st Century Teacher, a podcast to support educators and teachers. Each month, a special guest educator will be discussing a different aspect of 21st century teaching and learning. The show is produced by Live It Earth, your one-stop shop for interactive, nature-based online learning. My name is Blue, and my job is to ensure that our teachers and students get the most out of our programs. And today, I'm talking with Patricia Collins, an Indigenous educator that is piloting a new place-based learning model for graduating students in Grade 12. And I'll be asking her more about the origins and meaning of Orange Shirt Day and what approaches teachers can take towards truth and reconciliation in their class. So hi, Patricia. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Can you start by giving us a little bit of background about yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here with you, Blue. I appreciate the chance to chat a little bit more about some of the work I'm involved in. So again, my name is Patricia. And presently, I live and work on the unceded, unsurrendered territories of the Inpilchin-speaking nation, the Seah Nation on um, Okanagan Nation Alliance territory. The place name for where I come from is actually north of that. I come from Equipment Territory, and I'm extraordinarily grateful for being able to have the opportunity to grow up in such a beautiful part of the world and learn some valuable lessons. So when I transferred uh, with my spouse and we moved here uh, to Simpikin, I carried a lot of that with me and then created and strengthened relationships because I am committed to living in right relations here on territory in the Okanagan and with the Okanagan people. And you're now doing a pilot program, a land learn program at your school. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a really unique opportunity for us to work with senior young people who are in grade 11 and 12 in an integrated capacity. So we have four courses actually that we're unpacking with uh, project-based and land-based learning opportunities. The hope is that we can reestablish a decolonized approach to learning. I always jokingly say, no test, no textbook, no teacher. And our focus is on really embedding some authentic opportunities to grow and mature and to learn through the local insilchian traditions. We have uh, knowledge keepers and cultural coordinators and elders who we will be honored by bringing in and taking that opportunity to learn with them in a, an in-situ environment. So the young people take their environmental science 12, their English first pupils 12, physical geography 11, and foundations of math 11. That sounds fantastic. And so this brings me to my sort of first key question. Why, why is place-based learning an important aspect of learning that often goes, gets overlooked. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would say it's been significantly overlooked for probably the last 125 years, especially within the Euro-Western context. But it is a foundational aspect of indigenized learning. You know, the land has a lot to teach us. And when we 
situate learning from that perspective, it creates a, like a value-based learning opportunity for young people. You know, yes, it's meant to be responsive and challenging. And at the same time, it's kind of a more authentic and gentler approach to education, especially when we're using some of the techniques like, you know, talking circles, sharing of narrative. And then the hope is that the young people at the end will have grown into ambassadors. And the assessment will actually come from bringing in younger individuals, possibly elementary, and taking them out and participating in that sharing of the learning, which truly is the most effective assessment. If you can share it, then you've learned it. Do you find that there's a lot of relationship building that's happening with the school and then the local community around? Is that a big part of the role that you have, as opposed to just teaching the students? You're also building these other relationships outside of that. Building community. Yes, absolutely. One of the elders that I was really grateful to have a chance to work with, Richard Ogamau, he, he told me one time there are two truths about learning, which is that every single person is capable of learning and it really happens best in relationship. Not only our relationship between each other, but again, our relationships with the land. You know, prime example, Blue, the English First Peoples class that I teach, we were out on territory last year and we had been diving into the narrative of the four food chiefs, which is one of the pillar pieces of the Cheek, the narrative collection here in um, the territory. And we're out there, we're learning. We had our culture coordinator um, helping to guide us. And we come across the crest of this hill and there is a beast black bear and right there. And so we could, you know, again, as a, as a situational use position of where we are on the land, the connection to territory, and then we're out and we're seeing the black bears and, and looking at sign of black bear and talking about the cycles that the bears are involved in and our need to honor when we do see animals out on territory like that, their place in our relationship with them. So territorial land acknowledgements mm. um, that we hear very often now, before an event starts, before a meeting starts, you know, I know the organizations that I've worked at, there's always a land acknowledgement at the beginning. So could you explain to people that may not have a deeper understanding of this, like what is a land acknowledgement and what is the significance of these acknowledgements? Like why are they important? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting, Blue, you know, you brought up in the last few years, you're starting to see this more and more. And it's, a little bit misleading of an understanding. People think that land acknowledgements are, are something that's new, that it's a part of contributing to reconciliation. And it is, but it's actually a very old tradition. And by contributing a land acknowledgement and speaking an authentic land acknowledgement, we can really honor the wisdom and the tradition of the, the territory where we find ourselves and the footsteps, the people who left footsteps for tens of thousands of years uh, long before we arrived. So, you know, for myself personally, I'm often in other places for my work and my learning. And I do always humbly acknowledge how blessed I am to be able to have the opportunity to be in these areas. And traditionally, it's also a component of your actual identity, your lived identity. And a land acknowledgement would proceed even mentioning your kinship ties, 
because it situates and connects you to a territory. And then as a visitor, when I speak of my commitment uh, and where I am on my path to being in right relation with the territory and the people who are here, it, it does actually speak to being a person who values reconciliation. I just wonder, as you're saying that, is there a time that you use the land acknowledgement as an educator? Like when would be the times that you feel appropriate to use it? Well, and thanks for asking that, Blue, because there's a lot of teaching around this. And, you know, what I've received um, as a teaching is that it's a part of an introduction. I think it's really important for people to understand that as a visitor to territory, if you're welcoming somebody else, you are not to actually include a welcome in your land acknowledgement because you don't have the right to do that. And so I use it as a part of my introduction. You might see some people using it as a, as a signature with an email. However, that's not something that was in the teachings that I received. In fact, I was guided away from that as not actually an accurate representation of a land acknowledgement. So I use that in my introductions to new people. And when I'm in a new space, I will include not just the territory that I live right now, but an, an acknowledgement further back to having been raised on the territory of the Sequatchewan Nation. But is there a certain way of doing it? Because I've heard of one way is to not actually mention any of the local nations. I, I would say best practice to absolutely offer a land acknowledgement that expresses your gratitude, especially your gratitude to the people that did steward the territory or the nations collectively that stewarded the territory. Which brings me to the, to the third and final question, which is September 30th is coming up. Uh, this is Orange Shirt Day. And as of this year, it's now also going to be the Truth and Reconciliation Day. So it's a new statutory holiday. So first of all, what are the origins of Orange Shirt Day? And is this a good learning opportunity? I just wonder if you've got some tips around maybe for teachers that, you know, want to embrace this day um, as a learning, you know, what they could do. Well, the influence of the learning for yourself as an educator, as well as for the young people that you work with is, is undeniable. A lot of folks know now or recognize now that Orange Shirt Day actually evolved here in British Columbia from the experience of an individual. And what I like about seeing Phyllis or hearing Phyllis speak is that, you know, Phyllis is an individual who in a contemporary you know, setting went to residential school. She's, she's still with us today and she speaks so eloquently about her experience when she had this new shirt, you know, she was so proud and off to school she goes on the very first day. Her, her grandmother, you know, Indigenous people have an exceptional value for learning. And to honor this first day, her grandmother had bought her a new shirt. And the first thing that happened was that the shirt was taken from her. And it really represents everything else that was taken, that was stripped from individuals who were forced and forcibly uh, placed into residential schools. So when we acknowledge residential schools, we are speaking 
to the survivors that are here with us and those that are not anymore, their experience, their resiliency, their fortitude. And, you know, as Canadian, there's a reason why truth comes before reconciliation. We have to look transparently at those dark chapters in our collective past, in the collective past of colonization. And um, to actually sit and, and think, okay, Phyllis is still with us today. Residential schools were here for over 150 years. You know, there are estimates that between 150,000 and 200,000 Indigenous, Inuit, Métis, and First Nations youth were taken to residential schools. I have colleagues who are teachers close to my age that went to residential school. And the truth to that has to start to be spoken. You know, as educators at all grade levels, we can gently create awareness with the young people who we have a responsibility to explain and also share the realities, the lived realities of this horrific time in Canadian history. And you know, Blue, I've sat, even in the last couple of years, I've sat with young people and we've been reading a novel or we've had a residential school survivor coming in to speak to us. And at 15 or 16, they're looking at me confused and they're saying, why am I just hearing about this? So I'm blessed to have a lot of nieces and nephews and they've asked me, you know, Auntie, how long are people going to continue to, you know, talk and learn about residential schools? We find it really hard. And my response is always, we will continue to have these conversations until there isn't a single individual in this nation that doesn't have a strong understanding, a foundational understanding of these experiences. So I just wonder, are there any activities or projects that you've done in the past or ideas that you have that you would share in how to, because it's a difficult subject. I mean, it's not an easy subject to to open up in a classroom, uh, whether it's in a physical classroom or, you know, whatever kind of space it is. Any kind of ideas that you could offer? Obviously, there's the wearing of the orange shirt, but of course, there can be more. There can be more and, and there should be more. I mean, every class from a math classroom to a PE classroom, there are activities that can be brought in. In a humanities context, especially with, with the younger grades, to expose young people really gently to the concepts is important. We don't need to further traumatize youth and we need to be really respectful, even more so when we have Indigenous learners with us to not have them feel isolated, have them feel, and and I see this a lot of times or I have in the past, I feel like we're making progress where there's a burden put on Indigenous people and Indigenous learners to actually speak to some of this. And it's just an absolute no-go in my mind to be pinpointing and isolating Indigenous learners in class and asking them to share. The activities that I would suggest involve really small, gentle reads or watches. There's a great piece called Chichietpo, and it's been brought to um, film. And then, you know, an activity where you ask the young people, if you were going away, what would you bring with you to remember your friends and family? And in the story, the little girl packs 
packs her suitcase and she brings the things to remember grandma and her parents and even some rocks and some stuff from nature to bring with her to remember her home. So little things like that. I also really like to include a celebration of a tradition. So you could bring in a guest that could offer an opportunity to share a traditional activity. At the older grades, you can also connect with residential school survivors and have that firsthand, really authentic experience. There's a variety of books that are available. Honest to Goodness Blue, especially with the information that's available on a variety of different websites, um, including the Gladys that we knew, the resources are appropriate for K-12. There are ways where it can be accessible. Some really good ideas there. And uh, in a way, I hope that teachers do take the opportunity because, of course, now Orange Shirt Day is a holiday, whereas before Orange Shirt Day, everybody was coming into school wearing the orange shirts. So I hope there can still be space found in the week uh, around the holiday, which is a strange thing to call it. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yes, definitely. I've seen a variety of schools, um, both independent schools and public schools, have a whole entire week of options for young people. And these can be synchronous or asynchronous. And we have a number of national organizations that put out, including, you know, there's reconciliation walks that can be organized for schools. There's so much stuff, but at the simplest level, to share some understanding and ask the young people to bring that learning forward to other people in their lives is incredibly impactful. Yeah, that's a really, really good way to end this conversation. And I could talk to you for, a, for another hour easily. So thank you so much for taking the time, Patricia. I think it's really good work that you're doing. And it's really inspirational, I think, to hear, you know, some of your approaches to the work. And uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule, the beginning of the school year. So good luck with how that's going. I appreciate that. I'm very appreciative, Blue. And thank you for taking this topic as one of your first topics to highlight the importance of this recognition and this acknowledgement of these events for all Canadians. Thanks for joining us on The 21st Century Teacher and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Please do subscribe so you don't miss out on the next show and also don't forget to check out our fantastic online learning platform which is liveit.earth. Thanks again and we'll see you soon.